morning, church. My name is Mike, and I serve with the Student Life Team. So glad that you're here this morning. We have just a few announcements as we begin our worship service. Today is Move Up Sunday, which means kids entering kindergarten through eighth grade this fall move up to their new classroom for the 2022-23 ministry year. This is such a great time to prayerfully consider if you'd like to serve with kids and student ministries this year. We need men, women, and students who want to see kids love Jesus, dig into his word, and have fun. Talk with any of our kids and student life leaders or our family life director, Ginny Stair, to learn more. There are other great opportunities to serve and be a gospel witness this summer. You can host a neighborhood Bible club in your community to share the love of Jesus with kids. And you can also help with our Fuente Summer Program, which gives kids important skills for school and life and provides a place for them to have fun. You can use your gifts right here in the church as well, in the areas of audio, video production, hospitality, and so many other areas. Check out wheatonbible.org volunteer for more info. Finally, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you haven't been baptized yet, we wanna invite you to do so right here on Sunday, June 26th. You can register online at wheatonbible.org baptism. More information will be sent to you about that Sunday and our baptism class on June 13th. That's all I have for this morning. Have a wonderful week ahead. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you all be in the house of the Lord, ready to worship Him together. Psalm 34 says, magnify the Lord with me. I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise will be in my mouth always. The humble will hear that, and they will be glad. And then the invitation again, magnify the Lord with us. Let us exalt His name together. Would you stand with us if you're able? Let's sing. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near, join me. And mercy 
may be seated. On the screen this morning, there will be a part for you to pray in the prayer of confession. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Dear Father, Father of grace, mercy, and peace, we approach your throne aware of our tendency toward inversions. Through the Sermon on the Mount, you correct the inversions. We accept the correction and welcome you to set things aright. We confess our tendency to reject poverty of spirit and thereby reject our inheritance of the kingdom of God. Instead, we desire, we desire riches, riches in, the in the kingdom of this, of this world. We find it easy to celebrate and difficult to mourn. As, As a, a result, result, we lack the comfort that, that you, you offer. Outside of the Christian tradition, there is no understanding of meekness as a means of inheriting the earth. We constantly default to greed and selfish ambition as a means of inheritance, even though we know that scripture will have none of it. We find it hard to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, that we could pursue righteousness as a consuming passion. We extol mercy. We know it's right to be merciful, yet it's easy to overlook mercy in the arsenal of faith. We consume all your merciful deeds as a mitigation for our sin, yet, like the parable, we fail to bathe our actions toward others with the same mercy as we received. We want to see you, God, as Matthew promises, but purity of heart is a high price to pay for it. Forgive our erring ways. The scripture constantly speaks peace to our troubled hearts, families, cities, and nations. But would we be willing to sacrifice for the cause of peace in order to become the children of God? Would, would I, I be willing to pursue peace at a cost to, to become a child of God? And we are in awe, Heavenly Father, of those who endure persecution as a path to righteousness. But we ask that it not be our lot, though we too are marching to Help us. Help me to withstand the insults, persecution, and false claims, bearing them with rejoicing and gladness of heart. Help us all to accept these holy inversions and pursue a life well lived. And the people of God say, Amen. Blessed are they, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they, full of sorrow, they shall be consoled. Rejoice and be glad, blessed are you. Holy 
kingdom of God. Blessed are they, the lowly ones, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst, they shall have their
church family. Good morning. It's good to see you all and um, like I usually have when I'm before you, I have uh, a really special visitor um, or part of our church family to introduce to you this morning. And so um, I want to introduce to you Wally Kulikov and Wally um, and his wife, Russian and Ukrainian heritage themselves, uh, served as missionaries in Russia, Ukraine, surrounding nations for 44 years. And so we're just so blessed to have Wally with us today to, to get an update of what uh, one of our, our many partners in the region and in the midst of this devastating war um, have been up to. So could you just join me in welcoming Wally uh, with us this morning? Brother. Wally, thanks so much for being with us, well, brother. thank you, Kyle. It's wonderful to be at Wheaton Bible Church. 
We've just uh, appreciated your, your heart and you've guided our staff in, in prayer on, on many occasions and updates. And so um, would you just briefly share a little bit of your heart or the burden you've been feeling with, with our church family? This past week I've been thinking about scripture and a passage that really speaks to me is Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Who doesn't want to fulfill the law of Christ? And so the Ukrainian Christians today are experiencing unprecedented hardships. And I think we can come together and carry the burdens of the Ukrainian Christians. Yeah. And, and you're here today representing Mission Eurasia. Can you tell us what's sure. the history? What does Mission Eurasia do in this region? Uh, Mission Eurasia is a... a a branch of Slavic Gospel Association, if you've heard of Slavic Gospel, it used to be in Wheaton and Mission Eurasia was here. Mission Eurasia uh, trains people and then equips people. Not Americans, not uh, uh, Canadians or Latin Americans, but nationals. That means in Ukraine, we train the Ukrainians and we equip the Ukrainians. In other words, we train the Ukrainian people to be involved in evangelism, discipleship, and small group Bible studies, and we equip them with Gospels of John, uh, the New Testament, a children's pictorial Bible, and then as they establish small group Bible study, then they yeah. receive a Bible. And you've done this in the hundreds of thousands and even in the millions in some cases. That's right. That's right. Today for Ukraine, we have printed over a million gospels um, just like this and then the Lord's Prayer at the back. Mm -hmm. And so plan of salvation and then the Lord's Prayer at the back, maybe two million. Yeah. And the New Testaments, we've printed 100,000, another 100,000 in the Ukrainian language. But what the Lord has done is fascinating in its way because this work for decades, you've been doing this for, yes. for decades, now means that when disaster struck, when war struck, there's 400 churches who were equipped not just with the spiritual Correct. equipping and needs yes. to care for their community, but also be the hubs of care and support. So tell us about what these 400 churches have yeah. been up to. There are more than 400 churches in Ukraine. Ukraine is probably the sending nation of missionaries to mm -hmm. Europe and Central Asia and that part of the world. But 400 churches want to partner with Mission Eurasia and become refugee centers where they receive our literature, they receive our care packages, eye care packages, and then they distribute to the needy people within their area and mm -hmm. use that for evangelism, discipleship, yeah. and then come to their house and read God's word with them. But you've mentioned that these care packages have come in from uh, the nation surrounding and, and really by the thousands. So what's in a care package that uh, one of these families who comes yeah. to the church receives? A care package is a box and we call it I care. And uh, in this box, uh, we have products that we buy in Ukraine because we want to support the economy of Ukraine, the local economy. What we cannot buy in Ukraine, we buy in Moldova, Romania, and Poland. And then we have warehouses in Ukraine where it is shipped, and then the local churches, the local churches, not just Mission Eurasia, come together and they put into these boxes macaroni, spaghetti, dried products, meat products, uh, and so forth, and even hygiene products, depending on the situation and the people, because some churches have some ladies who are expecting children, so that eye care package is a little different. And so the eye care package is a package where four people in a family can live for one week on, this, on these products. Yeah. 
and we're just so grateful that tens of thousands of these have gone through these 400 churches yeah. to, to people fleeing. 40,000 IKEA yeah. packages, and um, we have equipped 50,000, and mm -hmm. so another 10,000 are ready to be distributed all across Ukraine through our partnering churches, the 400 churches in yeah. Ukraine partnering with Mission Eurasia. Yeah, can we give an amen to that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Wally, you should to, to personalize this a little bit. You shared with me about a Bible church, about yes. uh, uh, Irpin, is that I pronounce that right? Bible church just yes. outside of Kiev. Can you share just a little bit of that story, this one church? Irpin in the Ukrainian language, Irpin in Russian. So it's, <laughs> depending how you want to say it, it's a suburb of, of Kiev. That's where our office was, our headquarters. Our headquarters was destroyed and the Irpin Bible church Part of it was destroyed, even though it was destroyed, the sanctuary was left uh, intact and the kitchen was left intact. The, the church today is a refugee center. And so people come there for a meal once a day. And uh, during that time, they hear some singing, they hear a gospel message, and then after that, they can come and study God's word. On a daily basis, one individual makes a commitment to Jesus Christ every day just in that one church. If you take 400 churches, one individual comes to know Jesus Christ because of this war. War is a powerful tool in the hands of God to mold men's hearts for the gospel. And so today, on a daily basis, 400 individuals are coming to know Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and the Irpin Bible Church is one church that receives our literature, our food packages, and feeds the people who come to rest and to just enjoy the quietness. They come mm -hmm. dirty. They traveled a long way, so the church is invested into washing machines. Yeah. They have built showers, and the people come, wash their clothes, they shower, they have food, and then on a daily basis, they say, we have become a New Testament church. They hear God's word being read. They pray together. They sing together. And then people commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, How Kyle. about another? Praise God for this. Yeah. And so church, um, following this, just wanted to give you a picture. So if you could um, take out, you received a, a printed piece as you came in today. Um, for anybody watching online, similar uh, with the things uh, we couldn't share online, uh, but you can go to wheatonbible.org slash Ukraine. But I want to draw your attention to this because Wally and Mission Eurasia is one of many partners of right. our missionary, of our church family, uh, ministering in this whole region. Mm. Okay, so I want you to take a minute with this today. And I give this to you not just for invitational or, or for informational purposes, church. I want to invite you today, we as One Church family are going to take a special offering, okay, from this morning through Tuesday at midnight, a, a designation for Ukraine, special offering to resource Mission Eurasia as one of our partners, but the many others that you see here, okay? And so this is through the local church. My team and I were hearing throughout every week that, uh, you know, in Romania, dormitories that were closed because of COVID are, are refugee welcome centers, Christian camps that, 
Most summers welcome thousands of teenagers to camp or welcoming thousands of refugees. The local churches throughout Ukraine have not shut their doors. Like we just heard with Wally, they are becoming hubs of care and support in their communities. And so, we at Wheaton Bible Church, all congregations as one church family, we want to go above and beyond our existing support to resource them. Amen? Amen. Okay, you receive that invitation. I'm going to quote Hannibal. If you said amen, you need to give, okay? (laughs) But church, thank you for your uh, faithful giving as well, which week in and week out has been able to support people like Wally for um, decades. Can we thank Wally one more time for being with (laughs) us? Thank you. And I'm gonna, we're going to pray in a second, and just so you have the information again, wheatonbible.org slash give, uh, or you can do so before you leave. Uh, worship today on your way out, um, and make sure however you do it, you designate to Ukraine special offering, and I'll be back next week to update you on what our church family has given, okay? Now, what I'd love to have us do, could you please stand? And I would love to have you extend uh, uh, your hands towards Wally. But what Wally represents, this is our missionary family in the midst of this war, okay? Um, Through Wally, and I know we have many in our church family with loved ones, extended family in the middle of this too. Please extend your hands and we just want to pray for our missionaries, for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Father God, we come before you, Lord, we do. We beg for your mercy, as we prayed earlier today, your mercy in bringing this war to an end. Yes, Lord. When we see war, Father, we know that the the works of man will never be the solution, and so we ask for your work, for your presence, that in... um, The nations, Father, would bring this war to an end in such a way that the nations look on and say, there must be a God of these nations of creation. And Father, we pray for stamina, for wisdom, for resourcefulness for our missionaries and partners as they continue to respond to the overwhelming needs. And Father, we pray, may we give like we read the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Father, whether it's in times of abundance or times that, that are um, oppressed or in need, uh, Father, you have for us to give as we are able or in you beyond what we are able. And so that's what I pray, Father, is for an overwhelming generosity these coming days from our church family. And we pray for our millions of displaced Ukrainian brothers and sisters. Yes that all the churches that are hubs of care and support, Father, that you, you will be there. Your name will be lifted up there. Oh. Jesus Christ, would you shine through the darkness and yes, draw Lord. so many in Ukraine, in Russia, and surrounding nations to yourself, Father. Thank you, Lord. It's in your most holy name that we bring these requests to you. We approach your throne, Lord. Work in mighty ways. Yes, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Wally. And as we continue worship, I'll actually ask you to stand again um, as we read our passage. 
uh, this morning. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 5, so we're on our next week in our Matthew series, Matthew chapter 5, really a fitting passage um, for what we just talked about today. Verses 1 through 16. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. All right, good morning, familia. Today, as I was hearing the a Wallace testimony as he's sharing his heart and as Kyle is sharing some of the things that are happening in Ukraine and the surrounding areas. The question that came to mind time and time again was what makes a person like Wally, what makes the missionaries live in that part of the world, what makes the church in that part of the world not run not hide, not to pretend that nothing is happening, not to be controlled by fear. What makes that group of people in that part of the world to behave differently, to do what nobody else is doing, to instead of running away from danger, running toward danger? Instead of running away from pain and a struggle, running toward pain and a struggle, what is it that they have? What is it that they have found? What is it that they found that the Lord Jesus calls us to be? See, anything of what I just said was part of the sermon. But I feel that the Spirit was making it clear, at least to me. That unless we embrace what they embraced, we will never be able to do the things that they're doing. 
I want to start today by giving you some statistics. I want you to keep in mind, this is what is happening. So we just heard about the things that are happening in another part of the world. I want to give you statistics of what is happening in our country. Actually, all of this stuff came from last year. Last year alone, uh, 25,000 people died because of homicide in the United States. About a million people died because of COVID here last year in the United States. More than 600,000 children were victims of abortion last year. About 91,000 people died because of an overdose last year. One out of every eight children is living in a parent uh, with at least one parent that has some sort of addiction. About 20% of adult, the adult population is experiencing some sort of mental health issue. 2.5 million youth are struggling with depression in the United States. And in 2020 alone, about one million and a half people got married. And in the same year, about 600,000 people got divorced. And you hear all of this, and it paints the picture that the struggle is not just in other parts of the world, but it's also here. And you hear this, and you think to yourself, well, Hannibal is not cheerful spirit today. Or you think this was the worst day to come to church. Not only we're talking about pain and a struggle, but they just asked me for money. <laughs> or if you're visiting for the first time, you're thinking, well, what a depressing preacher this is. Unfortunately for some other of us, the attitude of the heart is, I have to run, I have to run fast, I have to play it safe. Somebody else may think and say, well, the best way to survive is for me to create an isolated community for Christians so we can avoid all those problems. And some, when they hear what is happening in the world, lose complete hope and may be completely paralyzed by fear. And today, as we start the Sermon on the Mountain, the first part of the Sermon on the Mountain, second part of this uh, Gospel of Matthew series, I want to I show you that Jesus has a different approach to life, and he has a different expectation from his church. Actually, the Gospel of Matthew, the first part of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, is going to tell us that Jesus came to create a community in which we don't ignore pain, we don't run from pain, we don't run from ugliness, we don't pretend that nothing is wrong, but instead, we live differently. We create, Jesus came to create a completely counterculture group of people. Once again, a group of people that is not running away from problems, but see the problems and get in, get dirty to love people in the midst of pain or amid pain. No running, no pretending. Not excusing, not being controlled by fear, not losing hope, but the complete opposite. And that's why the text we read this morning is so important. Actually, in verse 14, Jesus says this, a town, which the word can also be translated as city, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And that's a description of the church that Jesus Christ came to raise. A city within a city, an alternate society, a counterculture group, a people that live different and love different. A group of people that understand that we are here for a bigger purpose, 
than just our own personal happiness and security. Today then, I want to invite you to consider three things that this text says about you if you are a believer. We're going to talk about the citizen's call, the citizen's attitude, and the citizen's power. Call, attitude, and power. I need you to do me a favor. Can you please look at the person next to you and repeat this? You exist for something, better than, for something bigger than yourself. Go ahead. Let's go with the first point. The citizen's call. One of the things that we know about Jesus is that he's a great teacher, right? I mean, if you read the Gospels, you know that he's got this ability to explain profound things in simple ways. That's why as a preacher, I try to explain things in a simple way because, God, because Jesus showed me that the way to teach is to grab profound things and, and communicate them in a simple way. That's why I don't try to impress anybody with big words. Number one, because I don't have them. And number two, because I don't need to. So one of the ways that Jesus teaches is he uses images or metaphors, once again, to explain profound things in simple ways. And here, there are two images that talk about this city and these citizens um, that explain two things, that explain who we ought to be and how we ought to live. And he, he talks about believers as salt and light. Can you say salt and light? So, for example, in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Notice that it doesn't say if you're a Christian, there are some people that are salt and there are some people that is light. You are. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you confessed your sins and believed and repented, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Once again, when Jesus is using this here, he's not only explaining what he expects of us, but at the same time, he is telling us what our function as Christians is in this broken world. Now, many of you guys are familiar with this text. Uh, but I want to push your understanding just for a second. I'm going to give you... We're going to look into salt first, and I'm going to give you two purposes or functions of salt, one that I think we're all familiar with and one that is not so familiar, and then I'm going to give you the function of light. Salt, for example, in verse 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. See, in the ancient world, um, uh, salt has these two different functions. The first one was to add flavor or to be a condiment. Now, I'm sure that everyone knows here, everyone present here, everyone worshiping with us online knows that uh, food without salt, not so good. What I want to help you understand, though, is that it is one thing uh, to, for you to go one day without salt than to go a number of dates without salt. 
It gives you a completely different perspective on life. So, for example, when I was a youth pastor, um, we created this thing we call the survival camp. And one of the things that we did is we would take these kids to a, this huge forest in the south side of Illinois, um, and we would, we would live there for a few days, five days to be exact. And one of the things that we did to push the students um, was to give them food without salt. Now, the first two days, everyone is like, oh, we could do this, we could do this. Actually, the first day, we could do this. But with the second day, everyone is cranky and miserable. And even though everyone is hungry, they are missing salt. You know why? Because food without salt is just nasty. (laughs) Now, somebody may be wondering, why is it that Hannibal, what was the purpose of that activity? We were teaching kids gratitude, and it did not work, which has made them angry. But I want you to see what Jesus did here. He says, you ought to be salty people. Not salty people like modern people use it, like you're salty, angry. But salty people in the sense that God has given us a call to bring flavor into the world. To be condiments into the world. To make things taste good. Not to run, not to hide. Not to create a monastic community of Christians, but to be, to penetrate the world, all areas of society, to bring flavor. The way I would describe it is to bring beauty and goodness. Let me say that again, church. Not to run, not to hide. Not to create a Christian community, a monastic communities, but to penetrate every sphere of this world to bring beauty and goodness, flavor. Now, the second purpose for the word salt there is that salt functions as a preservative. It keeps people, it keeps things from decaying even more. If I were to explain it in a different way, think about salt as the first century refrigerators. Right? So if you wanted to keep your, your meat um, good, you will bathe it with salt so it could go longer. And look at what Jesus says, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I am called, I am sent in to bring beauty and goodness. And by doing that, we are preventing the world from going from bad to worse. Just for a second, think about what we just heard about Wally and all these missionaries in that part of the world. What would happen if they were not there? And Jesus says, you are called to the same thing wherever you are, however you are, and in whatever you're doing. In your school, your work, your neighborhood, in your relationships with your friends, you are there to be salt to bring beauty, to bring goodness. We don't run, we don't hide, we don't pretend, we don't, we're not paralyzed by fear. We go in and we bring what the Lord calls us to bring. So what about light? Look at verse uh, 15. Neither do, peop- do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. I love this explanation because it says that the Christian life is a public life. You put yourself in places where the light of Jesus could shine through you. 
And this is why in verse 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see. Can you say see? see. Your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know what good deeds mean? See, all throughout the New Testament, the word light is a synonym of truth. Therefore, Jesus is calling all believers to bring goodness, beauty, and truth. And the way we do that is through our good deeds, which in the New Testament, good deeds always have to do with the things we do with our hands and the things we say with our mouth. Not just one or the other, but by the things we do with our hands and the things we say with our mouth. You know, we live in a culture in which people say they have an issue when Christians say that we're supposed to share our faith. They, they hate it. They have such an issue with that. And I have an issue with their issue. Because I believe that we all share what we believe. Like we all do all the time. So let's say that you're a person here, that you're not a believer. You say you don't believe in Jesus, and you actually don't believe in anything, Right? And you tell me, Hannibal, don't, please don't share your faith with me. Because if you want to respect me and honor me, do not share your faith with me. I think that that's, that's not respectful. What is interesting about that statement is that that person just share his faith with me. His opinion also matters. It just happens to things that my opinion doesn't. But if you're a believer, because you have been called to bring goodness and beauty and truth, you never shy away. You never run. You never hide. You never pretend that nothing has happened. You never are paralyzed by fear. Instead, you penetrate the world and you penetrate society. And you play your role as light and salt. There's a couple of things that I want you to consider here. Actually, three things that I want you to consider. Why is it that Jesus causes to do something that is completely different to the mentality of the world. See, um, in the world, the secular mentality is that you ought to do good to others because you have the ability to do it. What is interesting, though, that in the text says that this is not a, a, a single person endeavor because you cannot be a city by yourself then this means that God is calling you and calling me that as a community, as a family of faith, we play the role of salt and light in the world. You can do this by yourself, church. You're not supposed to do this by yourself. You're supposed to be part of a community that does this, number one. Number two, notice that Jesus makes it extremely clear that we are not pursuing a utopian mentality. This idea that one day this world, by the things we do, will be completely perfect. That there will not be war or struggle or suffering or death. No, actually the text assumes that this is what it means to be part of this broken world. I think that when people get frustrated, when things are not changing, it's because we forget that this is the way the world is. 
The perfect world is only going to come when Jesus comes back, in the second coming of Jesus, when he comes to make all things new. But your responsibility, if you are a believer, and my responsibility as a Christian is to be instruments in the hands of God to bring goodness, beauty, and truth. Even if it's one person out of every 400. Even if it's one person. Because that person was worth it. Which then leads me to another argument I have. Is that Christians, in my opinion, are the only ones who could justify human rights. See, everyone talks about human rights. The secular world talks about human rights. But I want to argue that they don't have any reason why to exercise human rights, and we do. See, I hope you know that part of the reason why Jesus calls us to be salt and light is because we believe that all human beings are created in the image of God. Part of the reason why Jesus calls us to get into the world and to do the things that we have to do is because we create all human beings, regardless of religion or status or background or the amount of sins they have. They have been created in the image of God. Therefore, God wants us to bring beauty, goodness, and truth to those people. But what does the secular mentality say or say? See, the argument is that we got to do good because of natural law, meaning that we have to do good to others because that's how nature works. Every time I hear that argument, and what I'm doing here is giving you tools as to process why we do the things we do and to be able to answer questions that people have. See, every time I hear about this natural law, I automatically start to think about everything that happens in nature. And if you really pay attention in nature, this thing about caring for others is just not part of nature. Nature actually shows you the opposite. The survival of the fittest. The strong always kills the weak. You know, I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again because I don't have nothing better than this one. Think of a deer. How many of you guys like deers? How many, how many of you guys like to eat deer? Don't raise your hand because that's, it's going to defeat the purpose. See, deer are beautiful. They, they look gentle and cute and kind. Right? Like, think of Bambi. You guys remember Bambi? See, Bambi is beautiful. You know, tiny, you know, beautiful. You just walk around moving the little tail. That's all. <laughs> it's beautiful. And then think of a lion, which is beautiful, magnificent, powerful. And then think of the lion chasing the deer, catching the deer, biting the deer, eating the deer. And then you say, nature is so beautiful. You see, the argument cannot be that we got to do good to others because nature teaches us how to do it. See, we pursue goodness and beauty and truth because people are worthy. Not because nature teaches that they're worthy. The second argument that the secular culture would say, or secular mentality is, 
is that part of the reason why we help others is because it's popular opinion. We all agree that we should help one another. You know what the problem is with that? It was by popular opinion that people justify slavery. It was by popular opinion that Hitler was voted in. It's by the popular opinion that we have war in another part of the world. Our justification is not even popular opinion. It's because of what God says. It's because all human beings have value and dignity. It's because he wants the church to go in, get dirty, and love well. It's because God calls us to be light and salt. Now, this is an interesting fact, though. In the history of the world, every time there's a group of people that think they have the truth, they persecute the people who has a different truth. Did you know that? Well, Hitler, for example, he thought that he had the truth. During the time of slavery, people thought that they had the truth. Racism says because people think that they have the truth. Genocide is because people think that they have the truth. So what will be the difference between Christianity, that we know we have the truth because the Bible says so, or any other group? So here's the question. How do we keep ourselves foreseeing uh, ourselves as superior to others? How do we keep ourselves from having this truth and becoming oppressors? And this is where the Beatitudes come in. Point number two, the citizen's attitude. And what I'm going to do here from verses 3 to 12 is I'm going to walk you through these Beatitudes. And I'm going to explain and then apply. Because I actually think that part of the reason why this comes before being salt and light is because this here at the beginning sets our hearts so we can be salt and light the way we're supposed to. All right? Ready? You got to say ready. This is what it is. Notice that every beatitude starts, obviously, with the word blessed. And the first four beatitudes have to do with our relationship with God. And the second four beatitudes has to do with our relationship with others. First four beatitudes has to do with God. Second set of uh, beatitudes has to do with our relationship with others. Let's just start with the first four. And I'm going to move quick through this, okay? Look at what it says. Verse uh, 3. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you say poor in the spirit? See, the phrase poor in the spirit means that you understand and I understand that we are broken people. Spiritually broken people. Spiritually, from a spiritual perspective, we are in bankruptcy. From that perspective, every single one of us is still a sinner, even if you're a Christian. See, from that perspective, as Christians, we all should believe that even the least, quote-unquote, the least of our sins has a cosmic implications. Because our sin is against a cosmic God. See, if that is true, a person that is poor in the spirit understands that the only reason, the only reason why you're a believer and I'm a believer is because of the grace of God. I did not earn it. I did not purchase it. It was only because of the grace of God. Now listen up, church. 
when we're trying to help somebody else, the attitude of our heart should never, ever, 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 ever be pride. You should never feel that you're superior to somebody because that person sings in a different way the way you do. We are all sinners saved by grace. Listen to what Michael Horton says. It is a marvelous, it is marvelous for God to be on our side in mercy. But it is dangerous to imagine that he's on our side because we are better than others. You really think that you're better than a non-Christian? Do you really think that your sins stink less? My sins are just as awful as the sins of other people without Jesus. The difference is that I have received the grace of God. Look at the next reality to verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourn about what? Mourn about my spiritual condition. Mourn about my sin. Mourn about the things that are still crooked in my heart. And mourn about people's sinful condition. Listen, there is a difference between being angry with the world and mourn for the world. Here's a question for you. Think about the worst sin that you could think of, the one that you really don't like. Because we all have those categories for some reason. And when you see a person committed that sin, what do you see first? The image of God in them or their sin? Because if the only thing you see is their sin, you are defining that person by their brokenness and not by who God created them to be. You cannot mourn for people's sins if you forget that those people are created in the image of God. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, I love the word meek because it's almost, it could be translated either as gentle and humble. And I actually think that those two concepts go together. See, the only way we grow in our humbleness is we continue to understand that we're still sinful people saved by grace. That's the only way you grow in humbleness. But the more humble you are, the more gentle you're supposed to be. Let me put it this way. I think that there are Christians that should not have social media. Or email. Or phone, for that matter. Because we're, not, we're still in the process of learning how to be humble, and we don't know how to be gentle. Remember beauty and goodness? People like truth, but not at the expense of the first two. Six. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I love this verse because it gives you a description of what it means to be a Christian, you know. A Christian is not a person that never sins and never struggles. 
What makes the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the Christian, even in the midst of our struggle and sin, we still hungry and thirst for righteousness. We want to be right with God. We want to live right morally, right lives. And we desire to see right in the world. Indifference is not an option for us Christians. Indifference is not an option. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will show mercy. Uh, listen to this. It says, the only way you're going to be able to show mercy to others is when you understand that you have received that mercy already. The most merciful people is the people that understand that you have already received mercy. Let me push it a little, a little bit more. I think that if you're not merciful, maybe, just maybe, you're not a Christian just yet. Because we give to others what we have received. Eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart, I think it's, it's easy to understand. Someone whose motives are right, who is seeking to help others, not to get anything in exchange, but is seeking to help others simply because they're worthy of that. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. I want you to stop there for a second. Modern Christian. My job and your job is not to fight. It's not to smack people in the head with our truth. It's to show and speak what we believe. But because we're seeking reconciliation, not war. Let me say it again. That's why I think that some Christians shouldn't have social media. Or email or phone. Because we have forgotten that we are here as peacemakers. Not warriors for the truth. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Pay attention to that last phrase. If you suffer because you struggle with pride, if you suffer because you're not gentle, if you suffer because you are impatient, if you suffer because you're, you're, you, don't know how, you have no self-control, these blessings don't apply to you. Blessed when we are persecuted for his sake. You know, when I think about this verse, I am convinced that if you truly, truly embrace what the Bible says, you will be persecuted. Actually, he says, when you are persecuted, not if you get persecuted. If you really embrace the entire Bible, listen up, church, you will be, um, you will be rejected by the Democrats because you are too Republican. And you will be rejected by the Republicans because you are way too Democrat. You will be rejected by the liberals because you are too conservative. And you will be rejected by the conservative because you are too liberal. 
You will be rejected by modern people because you are too traditional. And you will be rejected by traditional people because you are too modern. You will be rejected by religious because you, but the religious people is because you are irreligious. And you will be rejected by the irreligious because you are way too religious. That's why the Lord came to create a different society. An alternate society. A city on a hill. If you truly embrace what the Bible says, you don't fit anywhere. And that's okay. Have your political convictions. That's not the problem. Embrace the philosophies you want to embrace. That's not the problem. The problem is when you confuse those with Christianity. That's a problem. Now, what do you feel when you read the Beatitudes? Let me tell you what I feel. Who can live that? Who can actually live out the Beatitudes? Who is broken enough? Who is meek enough, righteous enough, merciful enough, a peacemaker enough? Who is willing to be persecuted enough? Did you notice that at the end of every beatitude there was a promise? It says that if you're poor in spirit, you would inherit the kingdom of heaven. That if you mourn, you will find comfort. That if you are meek, you will inherit the earth. That if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. That if you are merciful, you will receive mercy. That if you are pure in heart, you will see God. That if you are peacemaker, you will be called children of God. You know what the problem is? That if we don't know how to live the first part, we cannot expect the second part. The problem here is that if we don't know how to embrace the first part, not only we cannot be light and salt, but also we don't have any promises after that. So why would God put this burden on us? Because he's not supposed to be a burden. We're supposed to see Jesus in them. We're supposed to see that Jesus is the one that truly, truly lived the Beatitudes. And because of what he did, we received what he deserved. Point number three, the citizen's power. I'm going to read this part to you because I don't want to miss anything here. And I want you to see that when you embrace this, this reality that these Beatitudes are about Jesus... That not only you are free from guilt and condemnation, but you all actually find the power to live your life bringing goodness, beauty, and truth. See, you and I are blessed because when Jesus goes to the cross, he dies like if he was a poor in spirit, like if he was a sinful person. So that the true poor in spirit, you and I, can inherit the kingdom of heaven. See, we are blessed because when Jesus goes to the cross, he mourns not for his sins because he was sinless, but he mourns for our sins, 
Father, please forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. See, we are blessed because Jesus was truly humbled. And he allowed himself to be crucified so he could take the place of the proud. So we can inherit the earth. See, we are blessed because he was truly merciful. He does not give us what our our sinful behavior deserves. Instead, he takes what we deserve, the wrath of God, and gives us what he deserves to be loved by God, children of God. See, we are blessed because he was truly pure in heart. He goes to the cross not because he was seeking anything from us, but because he wanted to do everything for us. See, we are blessed because Jesus is the true peacemaker. Because he goes to the cross to do something on our behalf, to find and give us peace with God. So we don't need to earn his approval or purchase his approval. He is our father. Jesus won that for us. See, we are blessed because he endured. Not only he endured persecution and insults, but he endured the cross. You guys remember the night before he went to the cross, he's at Gethsemane. And he says, Father, if it's possible for me to skip this cup, please take it from me. And he didn't get any answer. All we know is that he went to the cross after that. Do you know why that's there? So we know that he had an option. He could have run. He could have been paralyzed by fear. He could have hived. He could escape. And yet he didn't. He chose to go to the cross because he chose you. So you can be blessed. Question. If we have a God that did that for us, why wouldn't we do it for others? Why wouldn't we go into people's pain and bring goodness, beauty, and truth? That's the church I want to be part of. That's the church that the Lord is moving in Russia. That's the church of Ukraine. And that ought to be the church in the United States. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are not indifferent to the pain in this world. We are grateful, Lord, that you are not indifferent to our struggles and people's struggles. Lord, we don't want to be indifferent either. We want to fulfill our call as salt and light, as people that bring beauty and goodness and truth. Lord, but we want to do it with the right heart, the right motive, the right attitude. Teach us, Lord, to love well. And step into whatever you called us to be. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says. Amen, church. Let's stand together and respond to his word. Let's sing.
our treasure but that you are his treasure did you know that that's in the gospel of matthew don't ever forget that now before finishing our service uh just a couple of things i want to remind you that we love to pray for you as a staff so if you have prayer requests please let us know you can use the qr code let us know and i guarantee you that we're going to be praying for you Number two, I want to celebrate a little bit because this last week, this week, and probably next week, there's a ton of students and people graduating, and that's an evidence of God's grace. Amen? So how about we give a round of applause to all the students and people that are graduating during this season? It's a milestone for many of them. Now let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us, the blessing that he earned for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. Church, you are sent.